Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says Authenticity Guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Charles Darwin. The Nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Breber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, I am as excited to do a show as I can remember, Logan, because we just saw an amazing weekend of playoff basketball. Four outstanding games out of the eight. And today, we're going to be reacting to every single one of them. And I say that we start with the most interesting, the best, and work our way from there, which to me was Lakers-Grizzlies. Some of these games were more competitive down to the wire, but I don't think any game showed us more about what one team is capable of. So what were your biggest takeaways from that big Lakers win, Logan? Uh, Primarily... uh I put Anthony Davis very highly on the guys I wanted for the playoffs for a very big reason in how he can dominate the low block, how he can anchor a defense, how impactful he is as an individual player. And I think he showed that from the immediate jump. He gets, I think, two to three blocks very early in that first quarter. The Grizzlies were trying to get downhill in transition, and AD was there to stifle them every single time. I mean, he let it it be known that if you're coming down here, you're going to take a lick, and it's not going to be easy. Later in that game, John Morant does take a lick as AD takes, uh, tries to take the contact and uh, Ja goes down. But, I mean, AD, I said, was the best player on this Lakers team, would be the most impactful. And I think we talked about this in the preview to this series, how impactful he would be specifically in this matchup. Uh, the Grizzlies without Steven Adams, without Brandon Clark, I think that is going to be massive moving forward in this series. Xavier Tillman and Jaron Jackson Jr. are just going to struggle all series uh, long. Now, Triple J really impressed me with how he didn't settle for stuff, mm-hmm. how he tried to attack mismatches. Like, he didn't – it wasn't old offensive Triple J. I was very impressed with what he showed us. But AD is going to anchor this team throughout the playoffs, and I was just so impressed uh, with what they did defensively. They were plus 27 in AD minutes. He has seven blocks, 12 boards. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt did an excellent job from the jump guarding John Morant uh, every time down the floor. And I think one of the biggest things was that LeBron didn't play a great game by any stretch of the imagination. He had some very dumb turnovers. He was kind of loose with the basketball. Um, 
there was very early in that first quarter, it kind of got me fired up when he had a... It reminded me of young LeBron. He just blew by a defender and got this massive jam early Mm -hmm. in that game. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. And then we didn't get it. It was all the other guys that showed up offensively. And that's what I, I think is really encouraging about the Lakers. We knew the defensive ceiling this team could reach. They have Anthony Davis at the five spot. And they've got guys who looked engaged this game. But offensively, Carson, i got to tip my hat to you, my friend. Uh, I asked you at the trade deadline verbatim. I said, I don't really know what Roy Hachimura does for you offensively. <laughs> Literally those words out of my mouth and watching this game, I said, wow, I'm an idiot. Roy Hachimura showed me in this game what he can do offensively. Now, he's not going to be shooting that hot every game, right? It's hot and cold, but I mean off the dribble, on some pull-up stuff, stepping into threes. It was very impressive and crucial. They needed this game from Roy to put them over the top. 11 of 14, 5 of 6 from deep, 29-piece. Austin Reeves plays his ass off, too, out of the pick and roll, just aggressive getting downhill. Um, Reeves has been such an imperative piece to this Lakers uh, team. And D'Lo kind of got it going as the game went along. It was a very slow start. I was afraid we were in for a mm-hmm. shitty D'Lo game. And again, I think that as we get further and, through the pl- further and further through the playoffs, I'm not writing the Grizzlies off by any stretch because I think this is going to be a very good series. I would still take the Lakers. But if the Lakers advance, like I said on last show, I still think D'Lo is going to need to be better from the jump. I think he's just going to need to make those shots. Uh, open threes. He's just going to be ne- need to be better as a spot-up shooter for the Lakers to get it through because I think it could cost them at some point. But, I mean, it's just really encouraging seeing the defensive level that this team reached, mm-hmm. the engagement, uh, the the aggression, and, like we said, the role guys stepping up. Hachimura having a massive game, which I really did not expect. Reeves having a big game, which we have seen in the past. Um, the one thing I will say is that Troy Brown Jr. just does not need to play basketball. That's my one thing. And I, I meant to say that last show. Troy Brown Jr. should not be playing. Uh, it's weird. Malik Beasley's been also kind of ass recently, too, dude. Yeah. He's just not hitting his shots. It's strange. I don't know if Beasley's going to be crucial to this team moving forward. But uh, on all fronts, an impressive first win for L.A. Uh, like I said, the defensive level. not. I, I don't know how much we can take away from this because I think this is a favorable matchup. Again, without Brandon Clark, without Adams, this is kind of what we expected. The Lakers have the size, the physicality uh, advantage, and they kind of did dominate on the interior. So I don't know exactly how much we can take away from this on the whole, how the Lakers are going to match up against other teams. But I, I would favor them uh, again throughout the rest of this series, a 11-rebound advantage on the glass. The Lakers just dominated that area of the game, and I think that matters, and especially when the Grizzlies' best player, John Morant, his bread and butter is getting downhill and getting to the rack, and the Lakers are so good at taking that away, too. I just think both sides of the ball favor the Lakers, especially with the size and physicality disadvantage that uh, the Grizzlies are at at this point because of injuries. The Grizzlies are a great team. I don't want to take anything away from them. I think they can take a couple games. Triple J played a phenomenal game. I was very impressed with him, but uh, I was way more impressed with the Lakers. And yeah, I mean, I, I really think they have a shot at, at getting to the Western Conference Finals and maybe doing more damage. This game showed us almost every reason there is to love this Lakers team, and they pretty clearly looked like the best team out West. Now, 
Did they have some outlier shooting? Yes. Over 43% from deep overall. Rui, God bless his soul. I love him. I've been a Rui Hachimura advocate for years. He does have a fun game, but he is not a consistent lights-out shooter like that at all. He is actually quite good from the mid-range, but from beyond the arc, it really comes and goes. But he was amazing today. And you did get some awesome creation from Austin Reeves. And you mentioned Dilo had some big shot making. So to have five 20-plus point scores at the end of the day is no doubt going to be an outlier. But it does show something that I have been very positive about with this team, which is the fact that their complementary creation that you can get from the guard trio of Reeves and D'Lo and Schroeder on a good day and the number of role players who can step up here on any given night, like Rui Hachimura in this one, like Jared Vanderbilt is capable of doing defensively and on the glass, is an advantage that they have over almost any other team out West. And the variety of play styles, the variety of lineup combinations, the variety of strengths that they can put together on any given night is really special. So, man, do I feel good about the Lakers right now. I think, no question, they should be favored to win this series, and we both picked them to get to the Western Conference Finals. Of course, it's unfortunate Ja had that tough fall on the hand, and he says that his status for Game 2 is in jeopardy, but... They would be the favorite to me no matter what, the Lakers. So I think you touched on it. AD is, to me, one of only two people who I would legitimately argue for best defensive player alive. I think it's him and I think it's Draymond. You can praise Giannis. You can praise Drew Holiday. Some people would maybe throw another Milwaukee Buck, Brooke Lopez, into that conversation. I think the difference with Draymond and with AD is that they completely transform the team defense. AD will shut down the rim, and he's dominant switching. He can basically just shut down your entire pick-and-roll game, and he can make you uncomfortable for 48 minutes. And Draymond has a level of versatility, of genius communication, his brilliance as a helper, but also being able to legitimately guard one through five. Like, we just saw it against the Kings, right? Sometimes he's the best option for De'Aaron Fox. Sometimes he's the best option for DeMontis Sabonis. Those two, I think, are in a different class. And we saw that. I mean, 10 stocks... In this game. And it's not just that, man. Jaw only really got a couple looks at the rim. And he made a couple floaters. And he had the two threes that fell for him in the third. But it was probably a better than average shooting performance from Jaw. And it was not at all a very good Jaw game even before he went out. Because he wasn't able to do what he does best. And that's collapse the defense and get those quality looks at the rim. Because AD is that much of a deterrent. And what I also love from AD that we've been seeing... This year, more than really ever before, and especially in these last couple games where the stakes have been very high, is the motor, man. Especially on the glass, he dominated. 12 boards, 4 offensively, drew fouls, fighting for boards in a couple other spots, and his first 9 minutes was sensational. Mm -hmm. He had 3 offensive boards, a steal, 3 blocks, and 9 points in the first 9 minutes of this game. Logan, like, defensively, it was a masterclass, and offensively it was good he definitely wasn't as consistently assertive throughout the game and he does love going to his skilled tough shot making even when you think well AD you know maybe you take Xavier Tillman and he does have a bit of trouble reading those double teams more than honestly almost any other star offensive player in the league and especially when they're bringing them from the weak side and then it's relying on some sort of weak side movement from the Lakers offensively which they weren't really delivering AD made like one nice kick to the weak side corner. He made one nice find to Vando as a cutter. 
but overall, I do think that's something we'll have to watch if they can limit him being a great offensive hub. But that's the thing. They didn't need him to be a great offensive hub because really of Austin Reeves. And I know that that was mostly in the fourth. D'Lo had his stretches. Rui was a great shot maker, not a creator, but lights out from beyond the arc. But Austin Reeves put on a show, man. And I know that there's been skepticism of him because he's a Laker. And accordingly, he gets more hyped up than he should. And he's white. And guess what? If you're a white boy balling for the Lakers, everybody's going to hype you up. And the foul drawing element just tied into this entire narrative that the Lakers are being treated favorably because everybody wants to see them in the playoffs. The NBA does, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, he can ball. We've known that he can ball since he started to have this higher role offensively. I mean, he's always been an impact guy, but this level of offensive skill of creation of shot making, he's been showing us for a couple months. He was a 90th percentile pick and roll scorer, Logan, this regular season. Like, he has special pace. He has special feel out of the pick and roll. He has everything that you look for, right? He's going to trap the defender on his back, get him in jail, and then he's got the mid-range shot making game. He's got the floater game. He has the foul drawing ability. This year, he shot 56% in the paint, but outside the restricted area. That tells you exactly the kind of shots he's taking. They're out of pick and roll, and he is nails on them. And then when you consider the fact that he does have the playmaking chops, and he can read the floor there, and that he's grown to a 40% three-point shooter this year, so he can kill you off the catch, or if you give him room, pulling up. It's not his preference, but we saw him make a couple of those tonight. Like, he's their third best player considering his versatility offensively and the fact that he's going to give you positive contributions defensively, D'Lo night tonight is just a bit too erratic, I think. And you're right. My heart stopped early in this game because I'm like, D'Lo, yeah. the mid-range pull-ups aren't what we need. The Nobody else touches the ball on a possession and you take a tough shot. Like This isn't 2018 Brooklyn, my guy. Come on, we can do a little bit better than that. But Reeves was awesome. And Rui, I thought, was great but you don't expect him to sustain that level of production. But again, it's the fact that you do trust multiple guys to step up. So I was super impressed. And again, this is without LeBron being great. And we all know about game one LeBron, right? How he uses it as a feel-out period or whatever. I would like to see LeBron be a bit better. We saw in the playing game, okay, obviously he can assert himself as a scorer, but I thought playmaking defensively, that game was very bad. And I thought this game... There was a carelessness with the ball. Again, not impacting the game as a playmaker as you'd expect. He had the kick to the corner where nobody was there when Vando cut early. And then he had the lazy off-target behind the back pass early in the game. He had the transition pass right into the hands of Tillman. And then he got the ball back and turned it right back over. Like, five turnovers in this game. And he was off ball a lot. Eight of his 16 shots were threes, I would guess. Six of them were off the catch. Like, he was not controlling this game. D'Lo and Reeves were handling the ball, but guess what? Those guys stepped up, and they delivered. And so, when you see the very high ceiling defensively, AD capable of shutting down one of the best paint guard downhill forces in the NBA, and not just Jaw, Triple J had an amazing game that we should talk about. Triple J did not score when AD was guarding him. Like, the man is a one-man wrecking ball defensively, And then you have this secondary creation, this shooting ceiling that isn't always going to be there, but it's solid. Since All-Star break, they've been an above-average shooting team. And then LeBron is the sleeping giant who could on any night be the best player for this team. One of the best players in the world, point blank. And I do think we're going to see that LeBron because he's just got to put it all together. The effort, 
physically, he's still there. Mentally, we know what he's capable of. He's a genius. He can control the pace of a game. He can make every pass. The jump shot's been there for him now. So it's just about being consistently engaged and motivated. And when we see that LeBron with this AD, if these role players can continue to play at a high level, it would be hard for me to pick anybody other than LA coming out of the West. And I don't want to be overly reactionary because this was a great game from them, but they looked really good. And this was the vision that we've been waiting to see. And we saw it. And it reminds me of that first Lakers game or one of the first Lakers game that we got after this roster was constructed. And, you know, my take was this team looks hungry. When this team's hungry and engaged, they're really fucking hard to beat. And I really want to give credit to – I think you make a great point about LeBron's offensive passivity. It's something that I've noticed since the play-in. It's weird. For stretches, for major stretches of these games, he's letting Schroeder dictate, and he's just standing on the wing. He's letting Reeves handle the ball. He's letting Schroeder handle the ball. And I will physically yell at my TV, and I'll go, LeBron – what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. these are valuable possessions. You need – can you take over? Can I get it? I don't know if he's saving himself for late in the game, if he needs to flip that switch. I don't know if he's saving himself for later in these playoffs or what it is, but he has been passive. But, again, this is not a luxury that LeBron has had on this team yeah. in a long time. Again, since Rondo. Like, LeBron has had to be this guy, and it's it's that much more encouraging that this unit – can rely on these guys without LeBron having to take over. And when he needs to, boom. Because I think you saw in that first quarter, too, very early on in this game, I want to praise LeBron was passive offensively, but I thought his motor was on. Yeah. That fucking chase down block early fired me up, mm-hmm. dude. His work on the glass. Like, Vando got me. I put down a wager. Don't gamble, kids. It's not every very smart. <laughs> I'm actually down 40 bucks today. Um, I bet two of my friends that the Heat were going to uh, get swept by the Bucks, oh, down 30 look. bucks. I put a parlay down, and uh, Vando sold on me uh, for six boards because I needed Vando. Uh, Vando was on ball with Ja. But that's what I'm getting at, too. Vando on ball with Ja. They needed LeBron to get down on the on mm-hmm. the block a lot more and get boards, and he did that. Um, so, yeah, very encouraging. The final thing I want to touch on is uh, what you hit on with Reeves and the pick and roll. And it's a very small detail, but damn, man, he's so patient. I, yep. I, I love his it, – it all plays into that feel, that innate pace – when I watch Reeves with the ball in his hands in the pick and roll, it just never feels forced. It's slow, it's methodical, and the most important aspect is he's reading you. The guy guarding him, he is reading him and just trying to get to that spot. And it's so so impressive and it's weird because he's – he doesn't have this crazy burst. He doesn't have crazy strength. It's all in that – it's all in that feel and you can't teach that shit, man. It's really impressive and – uh, Reeves is a super valuable player and a piece for this team moving forward. And I just love, I love that patience uh, in the pick and yep. roll, man. It's it's something special. The one last thing that I think we have to touch on is that Triple J was fantastic in this game, and this is the trend now. We saw it first when Ja was out for that bit. J Triple J really stepped up and took a leading role offensively. His last month, he's been twenty six points a night on 57% from the field, 40% from deep. And today, only AD had a prayer in single coverage. Like anybody else, if it was Vando, if it was LeBron, 
it's incredible the development that we've seen from Triple J where last year, right, he was a poor shooter for the most part. He was often passive offensively. He was not the same physical force that he is. He was not as aggressive with his body. And so he also wasn't nearly as good at the short range shot making that right now is like his biggest strength. I mean, and he's he's just a mismatch, dude. He's a mismatch for everybody, but he always should have been Logan. And that's what I said last year. We did a podcast. I said I thought he was one of the three most frustrating players in the NBA because the gap between what this guy should be and what he is, there might be nobody else in the league where the gap is bigger. And now he's realized it, man. And he is legit. He will just get down to that low block. He's strong. He can hit you with the spin going either way in the floater game. I tweeted this stat out earlier. Last year, Triple J was 38% on his shots in the paint outside the restricted area. Same range as we talked about with Reeves. He always loved those shots, but he wasn't good at them. Now he's above 49%. So that completely changes the complexion of his entire game offensively. So without Jai out there, I don't think the Grizzlies have a chance. I don't think they have enough dynamic offensive creation. But it will be interesting to see how they handle Triple J the rest of the way. Because right now, I mentioned he didn't score on AD, but he really only went at AD a couple times because... The Lakers are either playing drop, and so eventually, basically, whoever was initially guarding the ball handler is going to switch on to Triple J as he rolls because AD is now guarding the ball handler, and so that's a mismatch. Or it came to that stretch in the second half where they were just switching, and I didn't love it because I thought you should really have to make Triple J work for a mismatch. Like, the drop, I get it, right? You want people being funneled towards AD. Your dominant rim protector makes sense. But early on, I think it's worth, if it's just sort of a, a casual screen up top, I think it's worth fighting because Triple J was bullying everybody else. And if it's not AD, I think you consider throwing some more doubles at him, making him beat you as a playmaker. He had one nice read there, but that is still a weakness in his game. And he also scored against a double one time. He spun the other way. Like, he was great. But... If Jaw's not out there, he is priority number one because Bane, Kennard can kill you with their shooting. Triple J is the guy who can go at you and get 30. And listen, I think he's proven that in these recent weeks, but to see him do it on this stage against a defense of this caliber mm -hmm. was extremely impressive, and I'm proud of the guy because he has flipped his game on his head, and he could easily be the Grizzlies' best player long-term. And recently, there's no question not only has he been their best overall player, Logan, because he's a top five defender on the planet, and I should have mentioned him in that best defender alive conversation because I think he actually probably makes the third strongest case because of how complete he is defensively. He's been their best offensive player. Like, he was just fantastic, but I don't think it's enough, man. And the Lakers look really good, and I'm very excited and happy to see it. Let's pivot to another game. Featuring the Pacific Division, that being the barn burner last night, Warriors-Kings. Sacramento came out with it at the very end. Logan is a Kings fan. Congrats to you. Their first playoff win since 2006. What were your biggest takeaways from this one? Uh, I disrespected both of these point guards egregiously um, in a few ways. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, first and foremost, I mean, on... Again, such a big stage, just proved how valuable of an asset he is. And a lot of people gave me flack for not putting him on my All-NBA third team, even though I am a Kings fan. And the just the rim pressure that he creates yeah. is insane in the big moments. 
made a bunch of tough shots in that fourth quarter to put this game away. Fox is a fucking gamer, man, and he had a massive game. Uh, I do think a lot of people got riled up at this. I think this is going to be a tough-ass Doma series, man. Like, I... I, again, I wagered on this. I did not bet on the uh, Kings to win this series. I could be out 100 bucks if the Kings do find a way to win this series. And I think the Kings have one advantage over the Warriors. That's out in transition. If they can force a missed shot and they can get this team running, I think the Kings have an advantage. That's about it. I don't really think, like, I didn't come away from this game. Yes, I was fucking ecstatic. I was elated. This was electric watching the Kings not only win this game, but to beat a team like this that just won the title, that has this history of winning championships, it's massive. That being said, I didn't come away from this game going, man, dude, the Kings are so much better than the Warriors. I'm really excited for the rest of this series. Yeah, I still have a lot of the sentiments that I had before this series. The biggest one is that, like I just mentioned, I think this is going to be a tough Domas series. Dude, any matchup he drew, if it was Looney, if it was yeah. Draymond, it was tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of missed layups that turned into transition buckets for the dubs he goes five of 17 12 points yeah a lot of rebounds who cares he's got to finish at the rack and draymond and looney are going to make his life hell and guess what guys again i'm so happy for the kings you're not going to get a malik monk game like this every night well again time out (laughs) hats off to carson brebber uh bill simmons likes to claim that he was the founder of the malik monk fan club it was that big gangly ginger it's right offensive. there, Carson Breber. It is offensive. It makes me mad anytime he says he founded it because you were on that train before anybody else on the planet. I Carson's legitimately biggest... thought that my Twitter banner was still Charlotte Malik Monk because I haven't changed it. I think Elon must have gotten rid of it. I looked and there's nothing there. But yes, I've been talking Carson about is the since the beginning. He's the biggest Malik Monk fan I ever knew. I'll give you a peek behind the curtain, guys. For Carson's birthday one year, I got him a Charlotte Malik Monk jersey. <laughs> it's probably the only one in circulation it's right now. It's clean, though. It's very clean. And so, maybe. The reason I say you're probably not going to get it is because Malik's the type of guy, when he's hot, dude, he can rip five or six straight games like this. And that's what's scary. That being said... He's also inconsistent to the point where maybe we could go 32-piece to like a 12-piece in a mm-hmm. one-to-two-game span. But if he's hot, oh, it could be a big Malik Monk series. But I, I do want to give you props. Carson's the biggest Malik Monk fan that ever existed on planet Earth. But, again, are we going to bank on that? No, probably not. And so I'm very happy. I think the Kings could steal another one-to-two games in this series and make it interesting because, face it, the Kings aren't going to stop getting buckets. It's I said this when the game started to my friends and I who were watching the game at work. The Kings are going to win this game by one way, and that is by just outscoring, outrunning mm-hmm. the Warriors. Like they're not. It's not going to be a, a regular game like that. They're going to have to just outscore them. Yeah, it's a fundamental tenet of basketball, outscoring the other team. But you get what I'm saying. They're just going to have to keep getting buckets. Um, at the start of this, I mentioned that I disrespected. Two point guards. I'm sorry, Stephen Curry. Like you asked after we did that playoff pod. <laughs> no, I don't know what the fuck else Stephen Curry needs to do for me to give him his flowers. <laughs> Holy shit, the offense. It's so easy, man. Steph is just disgusting. Every time I watch Steph Curry, my mouth just hits the floor. It doesn't make sense. I thought that floater at the end of the game was going in. It, everything's a... 
the Warriors just have two such special superstars in Draymond Green and Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Draymond pioneered this defense, looked great, was diming on the other level. He's such a cerebral player. Steph, whatever shot he wanted, it was going, and he was making all kinds of tough shots. And at the end of this, I didn't come away. What I'm getting at here is as great as the Kings played, as happy as I am that the Kings won this game, I didn't come away still from this game. A lot of people did saying, oh, the Kings are going to win this series. I'm not there. The Kings still have a bad, poor defense. Mm -hmm. Draymond exposed. I mean, Draymond had 11 assists. When Draymond's diving up like that, it's because you have a shitty defense. I'm sorry. You're not making good rotations. Draymond's a genius. If you're not, he's going to pick you apart. And Wiggins had a horrible first game offensively back. Not horrible. He he did a good enough job. But you need him to be better from behind the arc. And that last corner three is going to stick in my mouth mm. because they left him open for two to three seconds, and he's got to hit that. He goes one to eight from deep. I don't blame him. Honestly, for missing 25 games, Carson, you tell me if I'm crazy, I thought it was a great first game back. I agree. For 25 games, I was very impressed. I just wanted him to shoot better, and that would have won them the game. If Clay makes some more shots, they win this game. If... There's just so many more factors that I go, if this happens, if that happens, if any of these things is slightly different butterfly Mm effect-wise, the Warriors win this game. If Malik Monk doesn't pop for a massive game, the Warriors win this game. If Clay makes more shots, if Wiggins makes that shot at the end of the game, the Warriors win this game. Basically, my fundamental take here is the Kings are great. They play fun, upbeat basketball. It was a tough place to play, too. Oh, mm-hmm. my God, that crowd was absolutely electric. I still didn't come away from this thinking that the Kings are the better team. Yeah, they're the higher seed. Yeah, they can put up buckets. Yeah, Fox and Monk had amazing games. Alex Len, shout out that dude, too, played great <laughs> defense for the stretch that he was in that game. I-, I still didn't come away from this game thinking that the Kings are the better team, and I still think the Warriors, while they may not trounce the Kings like I originally said, they're going to win this series. I also did not come away from this thinking that the Kings are better, that they're going to win, but I did come away with a reminder and an appreciation of the fact that they can win any game against just about any one because of how special they are offensively. You don't just walk into the best offensive rating ever on accident. And they did this with a bad Sabonis game. They did this with a bad Herder game. I agree with you on the Sabonis front. The Dubs handled him well, and I think they will continue to. They pretty much ate him alive. They conceded jumpers to him, and he missed all of them. That's one swing factor, but Sabonis is not a great jump shooter. We know he's not going to take open threes, and from the mid-range, I think he's in the low 40s, so it's mm-hmm. not great offense. And I thought Looney guarded him well, right? He's a big physical guy, and they also swarmed Domas, I thought, when he was going to go up for a look. And then Draymond particularly made him totally uncomfortable. He had that one turnover on the perimeter, and it just felt like every time there was a level of pressure there that Domas wasn't too fond of. So for him to not only have such a poor scoring night, but to also have four turnovers to two assists, they X'd him out. Outside of the glass, where he was definitely big and he's always fantastic, they X'd him out. The problem is, I don't think they can contain Darren Fox and Malik Monk. And that's not to say that those guys are going to play this well every night, but... There is a level, when they're both on, of quickness, of rim pressuring, combined with that mid-range, floater range scoring, combined with pull-up jump shooting from beyond the arc, that is like 
almost impossible to contain. And that's the thing. De'Aaron Fox was four of eight from three. He's a 30, whatever, 3% three-point shooter this year. So it was a good night from him. And he was very good from the mid-range, although he usually is. But he was especially dynamic, it felt. But he is one of the most special athletic guards we've ever seen. He is going to put a ton of rim pressure on you. And then Malik, dude, has grown so much. Because it's not just insane pull-up jump shooting, insane athleticism. It's good feel. He gets to that floater game. He's able to make the necessary reads as a playmaker, hitting the roll man, hitting shooters. So those two are going to be a problem because I don't see anybody really who was going to make them uncomfortable. And, I mean, the, the Warriors tried a lot of different combinations yeah. on Fox. I mean, Clay, Steph, Wiggins, nobody had an answer for him. And it's the, yes, he's the fastest guard in basketball. Yeah. That is what makes the Aaron Fox a threat. But it's also, the way he puts, when you cross over, when you take that one step over that ends you defensively, because when you cross that foot over, you're fucked. Yeah. He can pump the brakes as quick as anybody in the game, too, and his pull-up jump shooting has been immaculate this year. I think you're right. I don't think Golden State has an answer. I mean, and if you move Draymond off, it's just tough. It's, it's yeah. a tough situation, dude. I, he's unguardable in this series. I went back and I watched a video that I made in October of 2021, I think it was, titled De'Aaron Fox is Way Better Than You Think. And he's gotten better since then, but he was really incredible in the home stretch of that season before last year he had a bit of a down year and the jump shot was not so great, especially from beyond the arc. But it is, to me, the blend of athleticism with pull-up jump shooting, especially from the mid-range, with this incredible handle. Like, I don't know if anybody handles at the speeds and in the tight situations that De'Aaron Fox does. So he really is an incredibly gifted scorer of the basketball. And Malik is as impactful a sixth man offensively as there is. And there's also otherworldly shooting around these guys, right? Trey Lyles had a big game. Kevin Herter is one of the best shooters point blank in the league. Harrison Barnes can bomb away at a moment's notice. So can Keegan Murray, who was not good in this game either. There's a lot of firepower here. There really, really is. So it is going to be... A battle, but bottom line, I actually think Steph can play even better. I thought that Sacramento did a pretty good job on him. I thought that Fox was up in his grill, and really they were just on him quickly with every contest. Every window he had was as short as it should be, I thought, in a playoff setting. So I didn't feel like the Sacramento defense at all was embarrassed by Steph. He didn't really have a ton of chances to just totally torch Sabonis or anything like that. My one takeaway was he should have attacked downhill more because 14 of his 20 shots came from deep, but he had those couple of drives in the fourth quarter where you saw, hey, nobody can contain you. Nobody at the rim is going to challenge you here. Obviously, Steph Curry, he can take as many threes as he wants. I'm not going to complain, but I do think that's another way that he can take things up a level offensively in this series because I do think he can really get downhill consistently, but... I was super impressed by the Sacramento guard play. And I think this is where it's great that the Warriors do have Dante DiVincenzo and Gary Payton the second on this team because although they're not going to make those guys uncomfortable, they can guard them respectively and they can give you legit contributions offensively and fit in perfectly because I think there's spots where you're just going to have to go with them over a Jordan Poole because Poole can be a bit of a redundancy in terms of that shot-making skill set. Dante is going to shoot the hell out of the ball. He's going to make great reads 
and he's going to compete defensively. GB2, not a great shooter, but he'll give you the playmaking and he'll give you a higher level defensively than anybody else can. So I honestly came away from this liking both these teams a lot. And I do think this Warriors team is really, really good, man. Because I'm not worried about the depth. And this is the progression that we've seen throughout the year. I've started to feel better and better. My boy Dante, who I've always loved, has really started to blossom. And Kaminga obviously has grown into his own more. He only played about 10 minutes in this one, but he was effective offensively. He even got a couple of cracks at Fox, and he didn't get embarrassed. So that's <laughs> got to be worth something. But that, to me, is the biggest improvement in this team throughout the year. Of course, also bringing back GP2. And then the reality is this starting five has been great. We've talked about it. The net rating is plus 22 when the starting five is out there. And we're seeing it now for the first time in half a season. And I did think it looked good. There was just a couple costly stretches. Late third, they didn't have the offense they needed without Steph. And they just got torched by Malik and Fox. So I do think this is going to be a battle. But bottom line, I think that there are more ways that Steph can attack this Kings defense. And you're right. As much as I love Malik, he's not going to do this every night. And I think it's going to be a matter of figuring out, all right, are we only going to play pool 18 minutes a night in this series? Because I think that might legitimately be the best option. Clay was okay. He giveth and he taketh. He gave you those two big threes in the fourth. And then his mm -hmm. next two looks, he missed. They're all tough shots. That's the thing. That's why you can't be so critical of a, Clay Thompson smothered off movement three because that's the experience. You could get December of this year, Clay, where nothing's going, or even earlier in the year, it was even more brutal. Or you could get March, Clay, right, where he's having like the best month of his career and he's largely taken the same shots. It's just he's special and he can make them more than anybody else. So I thought that was a bit of an issue for them, but again, not something you can really get on. So yeah, I still think the Warriors are better defensively. I think they can reach this level offensively and I thought they looked good I really did it was just a matter of the non-Steph stretches and then late game shot making I thought that the Kings got more yeah the non-Steph stretches are, are a big emphasis too I mean they're plus 11 in Steph minutes they yeah. were plus all game in Steph minutes I think they were I don't I can't remember who was on commentary that game uh if it was Doris it or was Doris it was, she mentioned it as he checked in in the fourth quarter. I, I want to say, don't quote me, I want to say it was like down 16 in non-Steph minutes or something. Like It was bad. I they mean, ended it was down bad. 14 like, in non-Steph minutes and plus 11 with them. So that's the difference. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and like I said too, man, I think there was a, especially for game one, we will see the edge that uh, Sacramento has at home. Uh, emphasis on the Warriors struggling on the road and I'm telling you, man, the arena was just electric yeah. the entire game. I I really think that's a big factor, too, uh, for the Kings in this series with the Warriors' struggles and how much this means to Sacramento. But uh, my, my feelings on this series are still the same. Let's move over to the East because I thought that Knicks' Cavs was fantastic yesterday. Another one that came down to the wire. The Knicks ended up coming out with it. What were your biggest takeaways? I mean, I just really felt like Cleveland just Cleveland just needed more from anybody else. I mean, from anybody else, dude. I the entire game, I'm like, 
man, Donnie can only make so many fucking pull-up threes. Mm. Donnie can only make so many tough shots. This bench sucks. Yeah. I mean, this bench blows. Isaac fucking Okoro, I knew he was a brick. (laughs) Brick, brick, brick. Even Chetty Osmond minutes. Chetty played an Ari game, man, but he can't play defense. Get fucking Dean Wade and Rubio. Like, the depth, we talked about it. It's worse than I thought. I mean, the Cavs are like five deep. Mobley, Allen, Mitchell, Garland, Levert. Everybody else blows. they're damn near four deep, honestly. There's a lot of rough Levert nights, and this was one of them. Dude, it very much so. Like, this game... This game really made me think. Like, I I said that Nick's shooting was probably going to be what lets them down. The Cavs aren't a great shooting team either. This game really makes me think that I think I'm going to switch to New York. Hmm. I I really do, dude. Jalen Brunson is the fucking man. I thought that Allen and Mobley were going to be able to take some of his tough shot making away. And I've come to the realization that you just can't. Yeah. It does not matter. And especially... Especially in a situation like this. I mentioned this in our preview podcast. I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal that Garland and Mitchell are negatives defensively as point-of-attack defenders. It does matter. Brunson was playing with his food this entire game. If you put Garland, if you put Mitchell, if you put Levert, He's getting to that mid-range. He's going one-on-one with a guy. He's going to do a little post move and get that up and under. He's going to put that floater up. He's going to get that little crafty layup against the glass. Jalen Brunson's unstoppable. You give him shitty defenders like that, and I don't mean to... Garland and Mitchell were shitty defenders. They're so talented offensively. Brunson is eating on them all day long, and Allen and Mobley just can't slide off of those guys enough. As long as they are, as impactful as they are, they can't slide off enough to go and block those shots. Like, and the Knicks are fucking deep. The Knicks are deep, man. Like, again, we mentioned it. Quickly. Crimes. Josh Hart swung this game too, dude. Another big aspect of game one that really disappointed me. The Cavs played good defense, and the Cavs could have won this game with as well as Mitchell was playing, but they needed somebody else to slide on the glass. When Allen and Mobley slid out to go contest a shot, there was nobody else back there to go get a rebound. You know who was? The great rebounding small forward, Josh Hart. Mm-hmm. Hart played a massive part on the glass. He did his job. They were great in his minutes. Like, this is the one series where I think, hand up, I was wrong on. Yeah. Now, there were some things that I was right on. They can't shoot. R.J. Barrett shit the bed. R.J. Barrett kind of sucks. Julius Randle did not have a great shooting night. I know Randle can turn it on or off. Did not have a great shooting night. The Knicks shot 8 of 29 from deep for 28%. Like I said, the Cavs can't shoot either. But my point here being, I said the Knicks weren't going to be able to shoot well. I don't think it matters because they got a guy like Jalen Brunson who can get downhill and get buckets, and all the Cavs have is Donovan Mitchell. Like I think Garland's going to be better as this series progresses, but I think a big fundamental thing that I didn't really count, right, I emphasized the Knicks not being able to shoot the basketball. Carson, I think one thing I fundamentally overlooked about the Cavaliers' offense is Spacing isn't great there either. No. Allen and Mobley are pretty much non-shooters. Okoro's a bum. You can leave him wide open in the corner all day. Donovan Mitchell's all they got. And Donovan Mitchell is going to have to drop 40 to 50 balls every single night for this team to win, I think, fundamentally. The Knicks are deep. The Knicks are versatile. The Knicks have a good enough defense where, it you know, the, the gap isn't that large. And so, yeah, 
I, I think depth first and foremost is the biggest thing in this series uh, and why I'm going to favor the Knicks. But I think this is the first series where I'm going to flop. Um, I think I'm taking the Knicks the rest of the way. And it's the Cavs bench sucks. The Cavs spacing sucks. The Cavs defense is great. But, yeah, they're, they're very, very limited offensively. And uh, Jalen Brunson's him. We've been new, but Jalen Brunson's him, dude. Uh Give me Brunson. He's a special beast. And uh, the Knicks' depth is superior, far superior. Quickly even had a really shitty game. Goes 0-5 from the field. That's not going to happen again. Like, uh, yeah, I, I just think I overlooked the Knicks a lot, man. I think the Knicks are just a better top-to-bottom team. I think you make a lot of good points. I do want to see another game of this series, but we said beforehand, the Knicks have a few glaring advantages here. The biggest one being... They have more quality basketball players. And boy, was that obvious in this one, man. Like, Josh Hart, God bless that we are actually able to see him on the playoff stage now. Because he was born for it, dude. And, like, we've always talked about him as the ultimate winning impact guy. And you see it here. When you can shoot well, when you're a very good decision maker, he's one of the best positional rebounders I've ever seen. And he's a good defender. And he's fearless. And he has a motor that doesn't stop. It's just perfect. He is the perfect complementary wing. And I thought the biggest reason that I was maybe leaning towards the Cavs coming into this was that we had been seeing not so great Julius Randle. And I thought you probably need really good Julius Randle because you need to have two really good creators to go toe-to-toe with the two really good creators you have in Cleveland and the great interior defense you have in Cleveland, and then your depth advantage, your role player advantage can start to come into play. But Randall wasn't great in this one. Like, he was good early, but he finished 7 of 20. He didn't have a monstrous playmaking impact, but the role guys were that much better, and Brunson was awesome. And Brunson is a problem here. He is a big old problem because you mentioned it. There's not a prayer of Donnie or of Garland containing him. He's too physical. He's too strong. It's too easy for him to get to his spots if it's back to the basket, taking a bump. From the mid-range, he's just unbelievable. And those guys can't keep him off his spots. And then you saw them going with Chetty against him late because Okoro's so bad offensively that he was unplayable. And Chetty did okay, but in that matchup, it's a bit too easy for Brunson to get the angle going left and get by him. So you're just really trapped here. And yeah, the Cavs have this great interior defense, but the top two scorers on this New York team are not guys who are going to need to get to the rim consistently to be effective. They're going to thrive with their pull-up jump shooting. And Randall's isn't quite as reliable, but Brunson's is pretty damn good. And the other reality is that New York just got themselves a lot of extra possessions. 17 offensive boards. You mentioned how great Hart was. Randall, Mitchell Robinson, all these guys stepped up and dominated the glass. And that's going to be a big factor here. And maybe a factor that I didn't weight heavily enough because New York was the number two offensive rebounding team in basketball this year. Cleveland, the number 20 defensive rebounding team in basketball. There's a mismatch there. And there is a physicality mismatch with Randall on the glass against an Evan Mobley. Like, it's a problem. So... Yeah, the Knicks definitely looked better. And I will say, Donovan Mitchell, obviously, going off bottom line, had a massive night. But 
He got his 38. He also took 30 shots. And I do think that there's a double-edged sword element to this because they absolutely need him to be great. And we've always seen him carry playoff offenses. And he's one of the best playoff scorers that we've seen, right? I think since the bubble year, he's been 32 a night efficiently. And they did need him to be great in this one. I also think, though, when Darius Garland gets phased out of the game entirely, I don't believe attempted a shot in the second half. In the last 12 possessions of the game for the Cavs were dictated by Mitchell. He shot on 10 of them, and I think he shot a pull-up three on six of them. So, yes, he's great as an individual scorer, but I do think he has a tendency to get tunnel vision, to force the issue a bit, and particularly he can become predictable with just going to that pull-up three. I thought that on the second-to-last possession, I think it was, he made a great job. He had hesitation. It was as if he was going to go for the pull-up three, and then he got into the lane, and he made a great read to Jared Allen, but I didn't think there was enough of that late. So I think that that's something that they're going to have to find the balance with, but it is understandable that he turns into, hey, I have to take every shot mode because nobody else was stepping up. Garland did have a really good first half, but yeah, Outside of those two, man, there's no shot creation. And there's really no skilled shot making. Like, Mobley is fine in that respect, but he was not good in this game, and he's never going to be, a, at this stage in his career, a consistent high-end option in terms of getting himself buckets. So, New York looked better, and New York might just be better. And I may have underestimated how much more it matters that they have so many talented supporting guys. And I will say the final takeaway is I think if we're combining like the guard and wing group on this team and you mix Randall into that, he's not really a wing, but whatever. I think RJ is the sixth best on this team. And yeah. it was great that he didn't close. Uh, Josh Hart is so much better than him. If you're trying to win basketball games, I know that RJ has been invested in by New York. I understand that he was the third overall pick. He's flawed as hell. We've talked about it before. His inability as a skilled shot maker, like he's always going to be inefficient. He's not ever going to be a great jump shooter, and yet he's reliant on that and a mid-range game that's not particularly good. And so I understand that he defended well, but give me the guys who can defend well and shoot the ball. Give me the Grimeses of the world. Give me the Josh Hart's. IQ didn't have a good game, but I like his playmaking and scoring ability and he's a perfectly capable of defender so RJ I think is the one guy who could sort of drag them down and I think it's better to just avoid him I agree dude I think you're right in like saying that he's sixth I wouldn't he didn't uh who did they start they started Barrett and Grimes right yeah yeah I mean I might even start Grimes and Hart dude I just think we said it. I mean, he's getting paid a lot. Not not a lot of money, but you don't want to pay him moving forward. I would... It sucks. I don't know. You don't want to make that judgment call. I'd probably move off RJ, man. I don't really see the... Yeah. I, I haven't seen the upside. There was a stretch a couple of years back, man, where he was making jo he was making shots. He was playing really hard defense, and RJ's spotty. I think the best move for them is to see what value they can get for him moving forward, dude. I just don't think he's a winning basketball player, and this is a unit that, like you said, Carson, a couple weeks back, you get another star in here, man. You swing for yeah. the fences. 
maybe there's some big things on the horizon for the Knicks uh, in you know a year or two. And he can be a good playmaker. He can be a good defensive presence. And, of course, you see that he has a level of ball handling ability of feel, right, that other guys aren't going to match. And so, like, theoretically there would be a ceiling there. But I'm sorry, the shot making is just brutal. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. And he's 2-12 in this one. And he's just not a guy I want in a high-volume role offensively. And there are other guys who will do the role player stuff better and not demand that high-volume role offensively. Let's talk about... The most interesting game of this evening, Suns Clippers, was down to the wire and ended up being Russell Westbrook, even on a 3 of 19 shooting night, who made the couple of winning plays that got LA to take the road win to start this one off. So what were your biggest takeaways from that, Logan? Uh, I thought the Suns needed to be more physical. I I was really disappointed at the end of this game, um, especially with their effort on the glass. I mean, they get a couple offensive rebounds just at the end of this game, and I'm going, DeAndre, where are you? I mean, this is your this is your spot. He comes away with eight boards here. Zubach chits on him, 15. Yeah. Plumley, 11. Westbrook, 11. It's like, dude, rebounds are any old head, any old head basketball MF you talk to. Rebounds are the most important stat in winning basketball games. Guess what? They decided this one. Um First of all, I want to say I think Russ fouled Devin Booker on that last play. Um, I don't like Russell Westbrook. I think he stinks. He shoots three of 19. Um, Good classic Russell Westbrook game. Now, this is something that did surprise me. I did think that if the Clippers were going to steal a couple games, it was going to be because Brody goes for 30, goes for 40, has a really big shooting night. But this is the Russell Westbrook that we know and we hate. Um, Three of 19, one of six from deep. Yeah, uh, it's Russ, man. Uh, shout out what he was able to do defensively. I do think he threw a wrench in some of their plans. Uh, again, I don't really come away from this game thinking that the better that the better team won. I yeah. think the Suns are better. I hate their fucking depth. I hate all their bench minutes. I do not like. Let me repeat it. I do not like Landry Shamit getting twenty four minutes. Yeah. What, dude? Put anybody else out there. Put Damian Lee. Give me a Kogi. Like, I don't know why a Kogi didn't play more. Give me Terrence Ross. Give me anyone but Shamit. Shamit fucking sucks, dude, okay? <laughs> and he's ugly. I will stand on that. Shamit blows. I don't know why he played so much in this game. I think the Suns are better. I think they need to be more physical. I think Aiden especially needs to, even though they were plus 13 in his minutes couple crucial boards there late, and this is a completely different game. And I also think they need to trust Kevin Durant. Very early on in this game, everybody was talking about it. Kevin Durant scoreless in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. They just didn't go to him. Bro, Kevin Durant's the best player on the planet, okay? Maybe second best player on the planet. Give him the damn rock. I thought if they'd given KD the ball earlier on in this game, maybe it's different. Like, the Suns had to claw back in the second quarter to make this a game, had to keep fighting to keep this thing close. KD got better as the game went along. I just think you got to go to KD earlier and let him rock. Um, two more things I want to hit on. Shout out Kawhi Leonard, man. Yeah. Kawhi is who we thought he was. A big reason why he was top three on my players to take for the playoffs. I had Giannis. I had KD. I had Kawhi. Kawhi is the man when he flips that switch and when he's on. Dude, yep. it just looks so effortless no matter who is on him, no matter the situation. So... Uh, and I also think, 
I think the Suns are going to shoot better from behind the arc. Hey, Monty, maybe if you play some floor spacers who are versatile like Josh Okogie or Terrence mm-hmm. Ross, maybe it'd be better. I don't know. Just a thought. And maybe if you let your guys – because the Suns didn't get downhill. I think that's a fundamental problem too, dude. They're a great pull-up shooting team. You've got to get downhill to collapse the defense and create easy shots for your boys. Um, I still like the Suns in this series. I think it was a bad game. I, I think if they come out a little more physical, if they get downhill, if they get high percentage looks, it's going to be different. And I think they're more talented. Um, but the Clippers do possess that rebounding and physical edge. Like the, the Suns are outsized and their bigs blow. If you put yeah. the old mower Lawndale out there, like it, it sucks. Uh, Plumlee's better. Uh, Zubats is better straight up. The one thing I want to hit on Carson, I want to, I want to hear your keys for this game too. The one thing that really pissed me off about this game, man, and has been pissing me off these past like week or two in NBA discourse. I don't know why I'm going to Twitter for NBA discourse. Yeah. Instagram comment section. Hey. Man, I was about to say a word I'm not allowed to say. Hey, dumbasses. Russell Westbrook is not better than Chris Paul lifetime. And if you say that, yeah. I think you like rode the short bus as a kid or something, man. I think you're slow. I think you're slow, buddy. I think you're forgetting what Chris Paul did in his prime. I think you're forgetting how much better Chris Paul makes his teammates. And I think you're a box score watcher and a mouth breather. Okay? <laughs> That's what I think of you. That's what I think of you if you think Chris Paul isn't better than Russell Westbrook lifetime. I think you're an idiot. All right, I'm just going to leave it at that. Chris Paul, every day he's woken up out of his bed has been better than Russell Westbrook and to this day is better than Russell Westbrook. I don't care how many rebounds he grabs. I don't care how many assists Brody racks up. Russell Westbrook stinks, dude, okay? Chris Paul's been better on his worst day than Russell Westbrook, man. It's stupid that's not a conversation we should have to have so i'm not going to dignify it this to me felt like the opposite of the lakers game where you were seeing everything that this team was capable this showed me the downsides of the sun's experience which we hadn't totally seen realized with this full new crew together because they hadn't lost a game they hadn't played great competition but they were eight and zero since katie came into town and played for them but I think you hit on all the keys, man. They were dominated, not just in terms of physicality, but in terms of grit, in terms of hustle, which is never a reason that you should just flat out lose a playoff game. And yet it was. Extra possessions. 15 offensive boards for the Clippers to six for the Suns. I'm sorry. The Clippers don't have better rebounding personnel than the Suns do. And yet they dominated there. And shout out to Russell Westbrook, man. He got them the offensive rebound on that last possession, and then he effectively got them another when he affected the trajectory of that ball and then gets it off of Aiton's mm-hmm. hand. And then that final play on Booker, man, regardless if you think it was a foul on the block, to throw it off of him and earn that possession for the Clippers, that was just sensational situational awareness. It was incredible effort. It was incredible hustle. It was sort of the culmination of things that people have always given Russ credit for that he hasn't deserved for. Like there's always been this narrative of, oh, Russ is going hard at all times just because he is this super athlete who plays with this frenetic pace offensively. Russ has generally been a bad defensive player. He generally hasn't made these kind of like, oh my God, what a winning play. But today he did. Today he defended well. I think he had three steals, two blocks, something like that. But possession to possession, he was good. And he was super engaged. 
and he was great on the glass. And so the scoring was a problem. It really was. He was going so much to his back-to-the-basket mid-range game. Hey, I'm a bigger, stronger guard than you. Which he's always loved, but it was brutal tonight. I mean, he couldn't get a bucket on Landry Shamit. Like, his finishing was awful, his shooting was awful, but he was able to impact the game in other ways. And so, shout-out to him. But, yeah, they absolutely need him to be better and uh, maybe a bit more selective also if they really want to have a chance mm-hmm. in the series. Because Russ's biggest value to me is, oh, my God, I'm getting to the rim. you got to help. Let me find this shooter. Yeah. Because he's not a great finisher. And I thought there was really only, like, one possession where I was, like, Hey, great take, Russ. It was when they were in like semi-transition and KD just wasn't dialed in back when KD was matched up with him because they put a few different guys on Russ and he got right by him. But interesting game for Russ. Mixed bag. But Phoenix lost in the winning plays category. I thought the other thing that we saw the double-edged sword for with them was how reliant they are on that mid-range shot making. I mean, it's absurd, dude. Their top... Four guys who are the entire foundation of this team do not want to get to the rim. Aiton, man, is just one of the... How do I put this lightly? I don't think I can. Softest bigs in the NBA to me. Dunk the ball, dude. He is so in love with his mid-range game and his floaters. And it's like, yeah, DeAndre, you have good touch, man. But it's frustrating. And I think too often, especially the mid-range, the floaters are one thing, it's fine. They're mostly good shots. The 15-footers, I mean, off the roll, man. Even even late in this game took one. Yeah, and when there's nothing else, when nobody can get to the line, when nobody will manufacture a great three for anybody either, it's just frustrating because they got in that lull, right? It was lull early, booking KD not hitting shots. Then it was the roar, the barrage. Oh my God, suddenly the Suns are up eight. And then it was mid-range pull-up CP3, Clang, mid-range pull-up KD, Book, a mid-range jumper from Aiden. And so that drought, that stagnation to me was a bit concerning. Just 6 of 19 from deep. And we know none of these guys are rim pressurers. That's not what they do. They're all incredible mid-range pull-up jump shooters. KD and Book especially, and of course CP3. And so that is the downside here, is that they don't have as many options I do still think, I mean, it's Kevin Durant. He's like one of the greatest pull-up jump shooters we've ever seen. Book is one of the best number two options we've ever seen. And CP3, I do believe, can still attack mismatches. And I mean, it's narrow misses. Like you can see, oh my God, if they just make two more of those, this game is theirs. But we did feel that drought. And then I agree with you on the depth front, especially with the bigs. I thought at least Jock Landale got them a couple extra possessions, honestly. I think the ball kind of just found him. But him and Biombo, dude, it's rough. It's really, really rough. And the problem is you find them wide open down low and they get fouled and they're not even converting their free throws either. So those two were a combined minus 19 and 13 minutes. Like, that's a problem in this rotation. And then I agree with you, the wing stuff. Give me more Okogi. Maybe give me a little more Terrence Ross. It's not great, but I do think it's better, especially because we've seen Okogi have some really good moments in the home stretch of this season. But bottom line, it felt like this was a game that the Suns should have won. If they had just made more of those, hey, we really want to win this game plays, and they didn't. And maybe that's a concern for them long term because 
Aiden isn't going to assert himself on the glass as much as he should. And outside of that, you're looking at thin guys, perimeter guys. They're not going to be down there. Their identity isn't making the gritty plays. You're going to have to get Torrey Craig and Josh Okogie to be those kind of guys. And Torrey Craig was great today. Props Mm -hmm. to him. And that's maybe a reason it was concerning for the Suns because they did get that big night from him and they still lost. But overall, I thought this was a bad Suns loss. It showed some of their weaknesses. I do still think that they're better. I absolutely think they'll win this series. But it was like they don't have a ton of margin. We've said they're not a juggernaut. They're really not a juggernaut, though. Like they need their stars to be great and they have to survive certain shortcomings like this depth, especially. So it was a very interesting game. I still feel okay about the Suns as my favorite, but let me tell you, if the Lakers could sustain this level every night, there would be no question. There would be no question. You you absolutely read my mind. That is exactly where my mind has been uh, on this topic, is if we're getting Lakers-Suns, and what we saw tonight continues to some extent for both squads, give me L.A. all day. Um, On the Suns' big front, it's like, man, what's Dikembe Mutombo up to these days, man? (laughs) Kevin Willis, you trying to lace him up? Robert Parrish, you got another run in you? Damn, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's bad. It's very bad. And, like, dude, I know Zubats has a very limited skill set, right? I mean, he doesn't do it. He's just a big dude. Hey, he's got good touch. He does have good touch. I'm sorry. for. And he's strong as hell. Yeah. And he's physical. The Suns need... A guy like that, man. They just need a big fucking strong dude who can, who can anchor, anchor non Aiden minutes, dude. Because it's not if Landale's not hitting his three, he's a negative. I mean, Biombo's undersized. Zubats can be better than Aiden in any given game. True. He was better than him tonight. He'll be better than him a couple other times in this series. They're pretty much peers, in my opinion. Like Aiden, man, it's just an up and down experience, and. He disappoints me and he frustrates me. Okay, we'll go a little bit more quickly through these last four games because those I thought were the biggest ones. But Heat Bucks was a surprising result. Giannis, of course, goes down with the back contusion and it ends up being a Miami win, although it wasn't a great start for the Bucks, even with Giannis out there. So he's day-to-day right now. My guess is he'll play sooner rather than later. But what were your takeaways from this, Logan, overall? Obviously, you had money on Miami being swept, so a bit of a surprise, I would think. Yeah, I lost uh, lost a cool 30 bucks on them. Thanks, thanks, Giannis. I really hope Giannis is okay, dude, first and foremost. That was an ugly fall, and especially for... I'm not going to compare myself to Giannis here, but no, I know the it. struggles of being a long, lanky dude. Uh, being a tall and, and skinny guy, Giannis is a strong dude too. But still, my lower back hurts all the time. I cannot imagine how bad his pain must be, dude. Being a six eleven, strung out two forty guy who's going to the paint and taking contact every night, and that fall was ugly. I just hope he's okay because that was a. I didn't like his initial reaction. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. for especially for a guy like Giannis who. You got to get low to defend guys. You got to get low to make moves, to dribble the basketball. You're backing down guys all the time. A lower back injury is really hard. And I mean, your lower back just affects everything. Everything you do on the court in life, it's a bad injury to have. So I hope Giannis is okay. Um, and it's weird, too, because when I heard he got hurt, I didn't believe it. I, I was 
at work when this injury happened, so I didn't see it until later. Giannis is Superman. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't comprehend Giannis getting hurt. That was another reason that he was number one on my list for guys I take in the playoffs. I never had a thought about him being hurt. Giannis is Superman. I mean that. Like, he's that guy. No disrespect to Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> no disrespect to Dwight Howard. You know, other guys who've worn the moniker. Giannis is this generation Superman, and so it was really, is really strange. Um, shout out uh, Chris Middleton, awesome fucking yeah. game, thirty three nine and four. Uh, that was very encouraging. Shout out Drew Holiday. I know it was a bad shooting night, six of 18, 16 assists. I was very impressed with what they did. Uh, Miami kept coming, dude, and I, I thought it was kind of an anomaly. Um, Miami was able to get. Uh, their shots downhill in the paint without Giannis down there um, outscored them very heavily points in the paint-wise. But I don't expect the shooting splits to be like this the rest of the series. Yeah. Miami, uh, this is courtesy of, I think it was either Zach Cram or John Schumann, great NBA guys. Um, the Heat shot 18% over their expected field goal percentage. Um, they shot 15 of 25 from deep, that's 60%. The Bucks shoot 11 of 45, that's 24% from deep. So, I mean, just... Hot shooting for Miami, very poor shooting for Milwaukee. And still was a very tight game. I mean, like, Miami had to close the door on Milwaukee, even though they didn't have Giannis. Yeah. Uh, there is one key that I think uh, Milwaukee needs to use the rest of the way. Harken back to 2021 uh, in that drubbing of Miami that we saw from Milwaukee. If Giannis is back healthy, he defended Jimmy Butler all series. We didn't see Giannis on Jimmy. Jimmy shoots from the field with 15 points per game. Like, I think that's just an adjustment you have to make Mm. um, if Giannis is healthy. I think you have to stick him on the team's best player. And so, yeah, I mean, props to Miami. Bam had the little mid-range game going, too. Dude, every touch shot, it seemed like it was falling for Bam. And they shot the lights out. I do think the hero injury is a big deal for Miami. Mm -hmm. Um, He's their second-best offensive creator. I don't care who you point to. Uh, they need him for this series. That's a very big loss. Um, it's not as big as maybe losing Giannis, but it is a big loss. Um, and see, there were a lot of encouraging things, I thought, for Milwaukee. Bobby getting buckets, Chris and Drew Holiday's performance. Um, honestly, I still might pick Milwaukee even without Giannis if he doesn't play the rest of the yeah. series. I think that's a conversation to have. I think this will probably go six or seven if Giannis doesn't play. I would probably – I hate picking against Jimmy in the playoffs. Jimmy's a fucking beast, but I would still pick Milwaukee. I like their depth more. Like I said, this is kind of an anomaly. I just don't expect Miami to shoot the lights out like this every single night. And so, yeah, I still favor – I still probably favor Milwaukee, even if they don't help, uh, have Giannis. I do, too. Obviously, it's a battle, but how could Miami have played better in this game offensively? I mean, Jimmy was otherworldly. Scoring and playmaking, 11 assists, 35 points, just getting to his spots from mid-range at the rim. Got to the line a few times. Bam was good, but, I mean, they shot 60% from deep. It's just absurd. Gabe Vincent was lights out. Max Struess, we've seen a couple games, not as crazy as the previous one, but he uh, you know, nailed a couple from deep. And Kevin Love was the real difference maker who I would say could be the one guy where you're like, hey, is he really exploiting something? Like just killing Brooke for playing drop coverage, giving him too much room. Not really. 
maybe twice, but he was just pulling from deep, man. Like deep, like four or five feet beyond the arc, and he was yanging them. So shout out K Love, man. I like to see that from him. But look, Milwaukee has a top two in terms of offensive creation that can absolutely go to toe to toe with Miami's. Like Chris Middleton was awesome. This was, oh my God, look at what this guy is capable of from the mid range artist kind of Chris Middleton night. And Holiday had an off shooting night, but I agree. Controlled the game. Great with his playmaking. I do think he can get his in this series. And then down the roster, Milwaukee's just better, man. Especially with Hero out. I mean, I would take Milwaukee's third best guy, Brooke Lopez. I would take Milwaukee's fourth best guy, probably Bobby Portis here. I would take Milwaukee's fifth or eighth best guys. Like, they're just a better team. So, Jimmy's remarkable, but it's not enough, even without Giannis. It would be a battle. Jimmy would be the best player in that series, and that would matter. But I would still take Milwaukee. Miami's not a great shooting team. I think they were 27 no. three-point percentage this year. They've been a bad offense all year, consistently. Jimmy stepping up can change that, but shooting 60% from three certainly helps. So the biggest story here is just hoping that Giannis is healthy. And uh, I believe in him recovering. Like you said, he's Superman, and it would be great to see him. I mean, even in the title run. He was banged up. Certainly didn't look like it. He had one of the best finals performances we've ever seen. Okay, let's talk Sixers-Nets. This was the first game of it all, and it was an interesting one. What were your takeaways? Yeah, my thoughts on these last three series are pretty limited. Um, I'm going to keep it brief on these. Yeah. First off, this series is over. Yeah. I think we knew that before it got started. The Nets have absolutely nothing for Joel Embiid. He's going to shit on anybody they throw at him. I'm sorry. Nick Claxton's a great defensive big. I considered him for my all-defense team. Tough. Yeah. <laughs> Tough, man. Like, I, it, it sucks, dude. Embiid gets whatever he wants. Um, I was very impressed with James Harden early in this game. And what the hell, dude? He was firing me up. We were getting throwback James yeah. Harden, knocking stuff down off the dribble. Um I'd like to see it sustain this series. I would really do, in all honesty, in terms of surprises for these playoffs, Philly might be number one on who I most want to see really shock me because mm. I've bet on Philly in the past. They've burnt me. Uh, I compared them to a bad ex-girlfriend uh, a couple shows ago, <laughs> uh, someone that just doesn't change, that's not going to fool me again. I want them to fool me. I want Philadelphia to surprise me. I want James Harden to turn back the clock a little bit and be deadly uh, with his pull-up jump shooting. I want Tyrese Maxey to take over and take that star leap that he's shown this year that he took and be that guy. I want Joel Embiid to not get banged up and to be the best, most efficient scoring big that we've seen in you know 20 years. So I, I'm rooting for Philly. I want Philly to surprise me. I want Philly to give Boston a run for their money in the next series. That's to be determined. We'll see if that happens. Um, shout out the Nets for keeping this thing close, though, dude. I mean, I wrote them off multiple times throughout this game. I was impressed that, I mean, I think Philly took their foot off the gas a little bit uh, throughout this game. But shout out Macau Bridges. I was very impressed with him once yeah. more. Um, everybody's been talking about Macau. And I was kind of getting annoyed with during the broadcast. Uh, it was Reddick and I'm mean, great commentary group. I can't remember the woman that was on the broadcast. Yeah, it's um, Beth. What's her name? Yeah, 
phenomenal broadcast. I really enjoyed the commentary that they gave us. Um, that being said, I mean, it, 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 it did get kind of annoying, especially with all the height that Mikhail's got. He deserves it. He deserves the praise. But it was, wow, Mikhail made another pull-up jumper. That's sick. Mikhail's sick. He is sick. I've been very impressed. I, I didn't expect him to even do this in the playoffs, but a 30-piece against a, a very good defense is impressive. Um, kind of all I got to say about the Nets, though, man. Yeah. Shout out Macau. Shout out Cam Johnson for playing good defense and knocking down shots. Shout out P.J. Tucker for banging a couple in the corner and making hustle plays. That's the next guy, probably the final guy I'll shout out. P.J. Tucker is a valuable playoff asset, a fucking dog. Yeah. And um, he's going he's gonna to make his presence felt on the court. He makes winning basketball plays. Um, this series really doesn't matter. The Sixers are going to bulldoze the Nets. I need to see this against Boston, guys. This was the only series that I picked to be a sweep, and there were two basic reasons for that. Number one being the Nets have uh, no prayer of guarding Joel Embiid, and I think that we saw that with their entire defensive game plan, which for most of the game was double him off the catch, which uh, I get, I guess, but it allowed the Sixers to make 21 threes at a 49% clip, and the fact that They do not have the level of offensive skill that you need to compete in this series. They've been, I think, the number 23 offense since the All-Star break, and McCall was awesome. But again, you get 30 from McCall, you shoot 45% from deep in this game, and you still get 20-pieced because their offense is just too reliant on off-the-dribble creation from McCall and Dinwiddie exclusively to me. And McCall is a great scorer. He's proved himself to be a great scorer. Three levels, the mid-range pull-up game is unreal. But he's not a great playmaker. He's grown there, but he's not going to elevate a team offense. And then Dinwiddie is just not an efficient offensive hub. I have a question for you, bro. We've talked about a lot of Carson Breber favorites here uh, on this show. We've talked about Malik Monk. We've talked Mm -hmm. about Roy Hachimura. Why the fuck aren't they playing Cam Thomas? I mean, to me, it seems like the no-brainer. Like, why are you giving Joe Harris minutes? Why are you giving Seth? Like, I love Seth Curry. He played a pretty good game too it's like to me though not that you have a prayer of winning this series but cam thomas can serve you a 30 piece on any given night like why are they not playing him well he's quite bad defensively i think is the only reason not that joe harris and seth are out there but they're more complimentary fits because they're these awesome catch and shooters cam's gonna want to dictate how you guys are playing ball he's gonna want to do his little thing he'll hit you with a hezzy, he'll be herky-jerky, and then he'll get a tough-ass bucket, and he'll give the Sixers 40, and he'll win you guys a chip. But <laughs> I, maybe it's something they try at some point. I don't know if I'd expect it, though. They hit him with a lot of DNPs, and I think the reason is pretty clear. But they just can't match up here. And, uh, again, the thing with doubling Embiid for most of the game, I think it makes more sense probably to make him work for the double, make him earn the double, because they tried different looks. Like, it's not like this was super predictable, but for most of the first half, it was pretty consistent. And you're just putting your own defense into rotation before you need to. Nobody on Mm -hmm. your team can single cover Embiid. There's no doubt about that. And you don't want him to get super deep position. But, man, I don't know. If he's out at the three-point line, you don't need to double him. Make him work make him back your guy down you know it's just a bit excessive to me and philly is the most efficient three-point shooting team in the league they're a hell of a spot-up team and that means that you're basically just leaving 
one of Maxi, Tobias Harris, or James Harden for most of the game, or P.J. Tucker, yeah, who's been a liability offensively for a lot of this year, but is still the king of the corner three. So, and he made a couple this game. And when he just makes a couple, yeah, you see P.J. Tucker's winning value, man, on the glass. He had five steals. So that really is the bottom line. And then the other thing I thought they got killed on the glass. It was 14-5 to offensive boards for Philly. And there was one point in the third quarter where the second chance points was 14 to one. So they're just not big enough. They're not physical enough. They have no prayer of Embiid. Four of the five best players offensively are in Philly in this series. And it's a mismatch. And we knew it was a mismatch. And I honestly still think it could totally easily be a sweep. Okay. Let's go to the other blowout that we saw. Well, it was more of a blowout throughout the game it ended up being closer final score but Celtics Hawks Logan any takeaways you know none I, I mean yeah. not really no not really I mean perfect the one thing I noticed during this game and I'll ask a pretty broad question that we can hit on pretty quick the Hawks didn't take a ton of bad shots I mean they missed a lot of a lot of easy stuff like I mean they got downhill um, a decent amount missed layups. They took a lot of mid-range jumpers that rimmed out. They took a lot of threes that just rimmed out. Not that this would have been a close game. I mean, the Celtics were running them, but should have been closer than it was. But, I mean, that you saw a lot of the flaws in this team, man. Uh, when Trey is not making good decisions, when Trey is not having a good shooting night, it's going to be rough offensively. My one question for you, Carson, is Trey Young overrated? Like, is he, like, with his limitations defensively, with mm-hmm. can't fully get downhill? Like, when Trey's on, he's very special. But, I mean, do you think Trey is is an overrated superstar? I don't know if he's overrated now because I don't think many people are too high on him. I think there are things that he can do that are remarkable with his pick-and-roll ability, playmaking, getting to the line, uh, the floater game, and he can elevate a team offense. But I think that there are very glaring limitations stylistically because of how much he needs to dominate the ball. I think he is abysmal defensively and he's not a great shot maker. Bottom line, like he is reliant on getting to the line. And we know that in a playoff setting, that doesn't work out quite as well for you normally. And so I think Trey is not being perfectly served right now in this fit with DeJounte. They try to give him more talent. But again, we've talked about DeJounte not being a great off-ball player, not being a great shooter. It's not ideal for him. This Hawks team overall hasn't been great shooting. So you're not building a championship caliber team around Trey Young, in my opinion. I honestly think conference finals is kind of the ceiling. And that team defended quite well. And Trey actually... He was good offensively. I know that he wasn't efficient, and so maybe you look back at the numbers and they weren't great. He did have complete control a lot of those games, and he produced, and they needed him to, but he has major limitations. So I don't know if he's overrated because I don't think people are rating him very highly right now, but I'm not super high on Trey either. Probably lower than I have been overall, I would say. Yeah, look, Boston's way better. End of story. I picked them to win in five. Maybe they win in four. I don't think this is going six. They're significantly better defensively. They're a better shooting team. They have the better top two in terms of creation. Their depth is better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to walk them. Oh, the only thing that I forgot to mention on the Philly series, just because Hawks Celtics, who cares, is it was an interesting Harden game. You mentioned how great he was from deep. One thing that concerned me, 
He was one of eight inside the arc, and we saw him early trying to get downhill. And then I think we saw he didn't so much like going up against the length and those versatile defenders and Nick Claxton and help. And then he said, I think I'll just go to my three ball, which is fine because he was money. But that's the one biggest regression that we've mm -hmm. seen in Harden's game is his ability to be that downhill force. And he didn't really have it in this one. He smoked a couple finishes, but he was legitimately affected on most of them. So last thought on that game, Timberwolves Nuggets. I'll be honest, this is the game that I watched the least of out of all of these because at the end of this all, I mean, as fun as this weekend was and I loved it, I had a bit of basketball fatigue and we were going to do this show and the Nuggets blew them out. But any takeaways from this one? Did not watch this game. Perfect. Uh, Rudy Gobert was negative 28. So uh, I'll take that, uh, you know, take that as it is. That's kind of all I need to know. Yeah, I mean, this is a mismatch. I took Nuggets in five here. There's just a different level of easy offensive creation that you have with Jokic as your hub with the shooting around here. Jamal had a big night, and uh, it was an off night for Cat. And Minnesota obviously hurting a bit in terms of depth without Nas Reed, without Jaden McDaniels. And as I said, Gobert, not that this was a big Jokic scoring night, but he just doesn't really matter because he still can't handle Jokic in single coverage. Jokic has torched him. And so what's the advantage for Minnesota? It's massive ant series. I don't know. It's not ideal. I will say, talking about the Timberwolves and the Sixers, the one thing that I thought about with the Grizzlies today was I was like, man, these guys had Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton last year. Kyle Anderson and DeAnthony Melton are really good. And uh, those are a couple of role players who you miss. So there you have it, guys. All of our thoughts on this opening weekend of playoff action. Really, I could not be more thrilled this was probably the lowest I've been on regular season basketball that I can remember. Stars missing so many games. It just felt mm -hmm. like it didn't matter. We didn't have even a full view of what so many of these teams look like. But this is as good of an opening weekend of playoff action as I can remember. This was a, a joy to watch and a joy to talk about it all with you, Logan. So, hope you guys have enjoyed this. If you did... You can find all the full shows on YouTube where we're posting them now. And you can also find them on all your audio platforms. And if you've enjoyed, please give us a rating, a review. That'll help us out. Follow us across social platforms. TikTok is at NerdSesh. That's where we're most prolific, most consistent with the trivia and the takes. But also follow us on Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh, Instagram at NerdSesh to get some clips from the pod, some graphics, catch you up on anything that you may have missed from us. So with that, Everybody enjoy the basketball. It has been awesome, and it will continue to be awesome. And as always, I've been Carson Brever. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sash. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.